Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! Hello, and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. This week, we've got a pair of musicians who've been around the block separately, but who came together to make some music just before the whole world went crazy. Jason Narducci and Mike Mills. Jason Narducci is, like me, a Chicago guy, but he spends a ton of his time, or at least he used to, on tour, playing bass for both Bob Mould and Superchunk. In early 2020, a local theater mounted a production of a musical called Verboten, which was based on Jason's life, specifically his time as a preteen in a punk band. If that's not creative and amazing enough... As a grown-up, in addition to providing the low end for those other great folks, he fronts his own band, Split Single. Under that moniker, Narducci writes the songs and recruits incredible musicians to record and play with him. For the excellent new Split Single album, Narducci once again asked Superchunk's John Worcester to play drums, and he summoned the bassist from a certain famous Athens, Georgia band to play as well. That'd be R.E.M.'s Mike Mills, who fleshes out the split single sound with his bass and backing vocals on Amplificado, which the trio recorded here in Chicago before the pandemic ground everything to a halt. Now, Mills has kept himself busy since R.E.M. split up about 10 years ago, playing with the baseball project and playing golf, as you'll hear. He's earned it, right? In this conversation, he also talks about a long gestating solo album, which would be amazing, also a project that incorporates classical music and his rescue pooch. In case you missed it, Mills' R.E.M. bandmate Michael Stipe was on the TalkHouse podcast just six weeks ago. We're two for four. Bill, Peter, call us. Here's a little bit of one of Amplificado's most rocking tracks, 95%. Elsewhere in this conversation, Mills and Narducci talk about the pandemic, of course, as well as making the split single record, their hopes for the future, passing the baton to the next generation, and the majesty of John Worcester's drumming. Enjoy. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. Yourself? Good. Where are you at right now? I'm in Athens. Oh, good. Now, is this the same house that you bought in 1986 good memory unless you have wikipedia open in front of you no that's uh, no. <laughs> that is that is exactly right and it wouldn't be in wikipedia anyway but yes that's exactly right that's amazing that you found that home and stayed in it so long well it's you know it was the right size for one person it's still working for two now but uh two plus dog but it's still working okay oh nice uh, what type of dog do you have? Basically a red tick hound with maybe a little boxer, maybe a little pit bull in there, but uh, mostly red tick hound, old southern hound dog. And he had a rough, you know, first year and plus of his life. So he's got a lot of issues, but he's coming along really well. Oh, lovely. Yeah. His name is Dobby. Dobby. After the house elf. Yeah. We have a really cool resource here, Sandy Creek Nature Reserve, Nature Preserve, or whatever they call it. It's different parts of Sandy Creek Park. They have these giant fenced-in areas that you can rent for you and your dog. So he's not great with other dogs yet, so we're still working on that. So he can run around in his own area out there and then kind of sniff at the fence to the other dogs. 
So we're working on socializing him. It's a it's an ongoing process, but he's getting better at it every week. When we first got him, he was just sick and beaten and, you know, just kind of a shell of a dog. And now he's really come out and he's healthy and he loves to go on walks. It's weird what freaks him out. Uh, baby carriages. If he sees really? a baby, yes, he sees, he sees a baby stroller, he loses his mind. And I just, we have no idea why, what, what could have happened to him as a young pup that, <laughs> with a baby stroller, but that's one of the things that freaks him out. I wonder if it's the sound or the how it looks or... Uh... It's, they don't have to be moving. If he just sees oh. he just sees one and starts to go insane. And the trouble is the way he reacts, he starts screaming and whining and it sounds like we're beating him. So people think we're <laughs> oh, no. dog abusers and really, really we're dog savers. That's lovely that you guys are doing that. We got a pandemic dog. So our puppy, Juniper, we got when she was three months old and you know, similar thing where we don't know what those three months were like, cause she's a rescue. And when I started walking her in the neighborhood, we met this young woman who had two little puppies and Juniper just ran to her as if she was the original owner or something like wow. just so much intense wagging tail and going to her to the point where it was kind of awkward. <laughs> like she never gave me that kind of <laughs> attention. <laughs> Um, it was a little bit of a, you know, a bruise to the, to the ego, but, um, one time we came across them and she just similar thing. She started whining so heavily that it sounded like I was, you know, abusing her or something. It got to the point where I just avoided that block because I didn't want, <laughs> I didn't want to live through that anymore. Well, you know, it's like a lot of people, you know, the new thing is, you know, you get like a labradoodle or a golden doodle. I tell everybody we got a wackadoodle. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Our previous dog was a black lab and you were mentioning the baby carriage. For some reason, she was set off by skateboards. So if a kid was riding by on a skateboard, she just was like went into protection mode. We had no idea what that was about. Well, that could actually make sense. I mean, those things are dangerous and they're loud and they're annoying. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. Well, we let her attack all the skateboarders. We have no problem with that. <laughs> Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so thank you again my friend, for playing on this new split single record, Amplificado. It ended up being kind of a strange process because we recorded so long ago. I guess it was June of 19, so two years ago. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? We tracked here in Chicago. That is crazy. And then I started recording guitars and moving forward with the recording process, but the musical that I was working on, Verboten, just took over everything. It was so time-consuming. And then the lockdown, the pandemic happened. So it was uh, yeah. so many delays. That's such a cool thing that you did that musical, though. What a great project. And really, I mean, you, to come sort of full circle like that, you don't you don't get that opportunity very often. No, and I, I recognize that. And thank you for saying that. I was just telling somebody how I went to so many of the performances and it got to the point where my wife said, wait, you're going again tonight? And, <laughs> and I said, when's the next time someone's going to write a musical about me? I'm, right. yeah, I'm going to go again. <laughs> as many as I can. Get that etched in the memory. Yeah, yeah, it was very special. But uh, yeah, so two years ago, we were recording in Chicago. And um, what do you remember from, from way back two years ago? Uh, well, it was a great studio. I really loved the music. That sort of, that genre or that you know, mix of genres, whatever. I don't like to use the term that most people would use for it. But I just love it. It's one of my, my favorite kinds of music. And John Worcester's one of my favorite drummers in the whole world. So I was really happy to get a chance to to play with you uh, with your great songs. And they are great. And get to play with John Worcester, who's just a, a driving drummer. You know, he's perfect for this sort of material because he really knows how to rock. And, and, and that was a, re a really cool studio. And I like Chicago. And uh, 
So, you know, it was just a super project for me. It is odd that it got stretched out so long, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, number one, what are you going to do about it? Number two, it doesn't seem to have uh, hurt the immediacy of the music. It still sounds fresh. Oh, good. It's not like it sounds, oh, that's so two years ago, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. John Worcester is something else. I mean, I've been fortunate to make quite a few records with him, and it tends to happen where I'll listen to the record long after it's finished and notice things that he's done that just accelerate the mood of each song or puts a punctuation right where you need it. You know, he gives songs lifts in a way that I think is so rare in any musician and certainly with drummers. He's such a song guy, you know. Yeah, well, he, he reminds me of Bill Berry in the sense that, you know, Bill got some of his early start was in theater, musical theater in, in Macon, Georgia. <laughs> he played at the Little Theater down there. And so uh, he's an orchestral drummer in the sense that he, you know, he doesn't just play a beat. He writes a piece. He writes a part and he plays things that enhance the songs. They're not just, you know, four, four beats or whatever the beat may be. So I love that about John. It's it's orchestral and it's not just, just a, a straight pounding away. It's actually working within the song to make the song more sophisticated in a not snotty way, but just more complex, very subtly, subtly complex. You and John, did you guys do a Christmas release? Or I feel like you guys recorded together. Yeah, we did a few. I want to say we did the NRBQ song for the Q People record, which was another thing you couldn't put out now. <laughs> you might not want to call it the Q people, but right. but no, it's it's a it's a great NRBQ tribute record. Bonnie Raitt has a real cool song on it, and we did one of Terry's songs uh, when things was cheap. And John also played. I think he did an REM uh, Christmas single that we did with. What did we do? Was it Live for Today and Jesus Christ by Big Star? Live for Today by the Grassroots. Oh, I love that Grassroots song. Yeah, yeah, all those Grassroots songs are amazing. Is that the Sha La 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 La? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know th that's a perfect opportunity to since he lives around there. We recorded it at Mitch's Mitch Easter's Fidelitorium. Oh yeah. Anytime you can work with Mitch Easter, you should. And uh, <laughs> you know, and and Mitch and John together is just like a perfect Southern and fried uh, <laughs> afternoon, you know, it makes, makes me really happy. So that was super fun. Uh, you know that, and that a uh, couple of those grassroots songs, at least one of a million, I Walk a Million Miles was written by Gary Zeekley, the same guy who wrote Superman that we did. Oh, really? Yeah. Gary Zeekley was a great underappreciated songwriter who turned out a lot of really cool stuff and lived a very strange life. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool that you had already worked with John. And I mean, John was the person that introduced us back in, uh, 2006 at the 40 Watt Club with that first Robert Pollard show that John and I played. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, you you and I met very briefly before that in about 2002 or 2003. Wilco was on tour with you guys, and I was in San Francisco and got to see a show and I, and was backstage, and, and you walked past me and said, I like that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember which shirt it was? I do. Of course I do. It meant a lot. <laughs> I don't have it anymore, unfortunately. And then, uh, yeah, 2006, you came, you were nice enough to come to that 40 watt gig that we did um, and stay for the whole three hour show or however long we played. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if it's good, you don't want it to end. I love shows <laughs> like that. It's so rare that you get to go to a show and you don't want them to stop playing. Usually after a while, it's like, okay, that's, thank you. Goodbye. But sometimes <laughs> it's like, just please keep going. Pollard's great. You bring up the, uh, 
the Bill Berry thing, I, I was shooting a video yesterday for the split single song Satellite, which is the last song on the record. And the director, Brendan Leonard, started talking about R.E.M. and how much he loves Bill's playing. And he mentioned Orange Crush as a great example of the musicality that Bill brought to a song with the, you know, the shotgun snare intro and the different mm -hmm. parts and the the rapid hi-hat. So it's funny you bring that up because I was just yesterday talking about Bill's incredible ability to do that. That snare roll that you referred to was sampled by Garbage. It's the snare roll to, uh, I think it's Stupid Girl. I'm not sure. But it's one of their radio hits that they had. And, and if you listen to it, you'll recognize that snare roll from Orange Crush. Butch Vig. And Butch Vig knows, <laughs> knows where the bodies are buried. And if you want to, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite Bill Berry orchestral things are the very first EP for Wolves Lower or Lower Wolves really is how you could say it but yeah it's just this really weird orchestral part you know it's it's just like who would have thought of that but he thought of that and that was early early days the flowers of guatemala there's a lot of really nice chimes and yeah yeah we had a lot of fun with uh with the percussion on that one found these all these little chimes all these little bells that might have even been the one where we used the glasses of water trick. Oh, to get the right note. Yeah, and then you you lick your finger and you you run it around the rim of the glass to get that that sort of bell sound. I think that could well have been on that song as well. And then you pour out just like a tablespoon to get the right note to come out. I'm sure there are videos on YouTube where guys play an entire song. You can make literally any note with it because water is sort of infinite, infinitely variable. Yeah. And we used to annoy the hell out of people in restaurants. Sometimes we'd all, <laughs> we'd all start doing that because we just thought it was the coolest thing in the world and other people might not have agreed, so too bad. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the Talk House podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process. And often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of The Talk House is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. They also make it easy to upload lyrics and metadata and to track your earnings and share them with your bandmates and co-writers. You can even snap on extras like Instant Share, which allows for easy collaboration. The DistroKid app makes it all a seamless experience that will save you a ton of time that would be better spent making music. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS. Head over to the App Store to download it. I guess we should talk a little bit more about the split single record. Kind of a funny story on that first video when uh, the director came up with the idea of us just standing in front of a wall and I had to text you and, hey, Mike, you know, can you find a wall? Videos have never been my thing, but at least that was relatively simple and I could, I could it do it. I'm sorry, sorry it took me so long, but yeah, the video turned out great. Yeah, and, it, you know, similar to how we made the record, I like to try to make it as simple as possible. I mean, we, what were you in town for three days or something? I mean, we, we made quick work of it. It was a quick... It, surprisingly fast record. I might stretch the bass lines out a little bit in future live performances. <laughs> I, I, played, I played it really straightforward, you know, and, and I just hear a couple of places where I might have could have added a little more stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah, please, please do your thing. You know, it's all in service of the song. I mean, that's the whole point is to how to make the song. It's not people who want to get in there and show off. It's like, no, please, unless unless I ask you to show off, don't, don't show off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just help the song. You'll have little green light moments where you can right. stretch right. out. <laughs> right, right, right. Here's your spot.
Well, your vocals sound great on the record. Thank you. Thank you. It's studio is a good place to make things happen. I mean, it, yeah, it was just, it was really nice to work with David Barbie on getting those uh, vocals right. And, you know, there's just so much room for melody in your songs. And I just really, I really enjoyed that finding fun melodies. You sent some great ideas, which I used, I think, to great effect. And then I said, I told Barbie, I said, I'm going to wing it a little bit and see what we can find here. And it was just really fun. It's just really, I just so enjoy putting melody down where there's spaces to do it. And your songs definitely lend themselves to that. The first one you sent back was 95%. And, you know, I got, I got goosebumps. It was just <laughs> such, I mean, I know that you're a great singer, of course. I'm a huge fan of, of your work, but to hear it on, on that song and then to hear the two screams. Do you remember in the beginning of the song? Oh, yeah, those cost me. Let me tell you what, I paid oh, for no. those. Oh, no. No, that's, no, it's fine. It was fine. I, I, you know, screams are one of the best things in music. You know, who's who had the great ones? You know, James Brown certainly had one of the best ever, but but uh, Scott McCoy does a great scream. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, if you can throw a scream into a song and it's the right place, I, it, it just, it's such an uplifting thing for me and always makes me smile to hear one. I mean, it gives the song so much energy because it's, there's one at the top of the song and then there's one right before the guitar solo. And, uh, you know, David Barbie sent, which is a whole other small world thing. How funny is it that David Barbie's tracking you? I mean, right. you guys have this long Athens relationship, but my relationship with him is through Bob Mould. It's just mm -hmm. so funny that here's the bass player from Sugar tracking mm -hmm. <laughs> this. But, he, you know, he sent me the files and I, I heard that and I texted David immediately. I was like, oh, my God, Mike is really digging in on this. He's, the screams <laughs> are great. And David said, yeah, you know, he poured himself some brandy and just had a great fucking time. <laughs> Bourbon, actually. Oh, sorry, bourbon. Okay. Bourbon okay. was bourbon. the, well, at some point, you know, it's, it's, it's really good to loosen up. And it, you know, if you're a consummate professional such as myself, you know exactly the amounts that you can use to loosen your throat up a little bit and open the doors of your imagination without being sloppy. It sounds amazing. So yeah, so you were recording backing vocals in Athens with David and I was recording my vocals here in Chicago uh, during the <laughs> crazy, crazy COVID winter here. Yep. So what was your, what was your pandemic experience? We're pretty lucky, very, very, very lucky actually to live where we live. You know, we have uh, a yard, it's a little warmer. You know, we were really feeling for people that lived in the cities in, in apartments and just, you know, it's just so hard to keep your sanity in situations like that. We were able to to go outside. We would pick a night. You know, a lot of the good restaurants tried, did their best to stay open and have outdoor seating with, with those heaters. So we would try to find a night if it was above 40 degrees and the wind was less than six miles an hour. <laughs> we would put on, you know, three or four layers of clothes and take some nice cushions and go eat outside. It's a good way to keep your sanity, try to keep the restaurants in business that you like. And it's also, you know, it's, it's a memory. It's a good memory to do something so weird in such a strange and painful time, but to try to find a glimmer of, of normalcy or normality. Normalcy is not even a word, but normality in a time like that was really cool. And the other the great thing is, you know, the weather here is not that bad. So on a lot of days, uh, we could play golf. And I had two, I have two, three buddies here that... We would, uh, if the weather was okay, we'd go play nine holes in the afternoon and take our own cocktail makings and sit on the porch out at the golf course and, and make cocktails and talk about life. Excellent. So we had ways around it, you know, and, and of course, you know, the, the eternal battle with Pro Tools for me was, was ongoing. And <laughs> I just, 
it's it's one of those Sisyphean things, two steps forward, one step back with Pro Tools. But I got to do a lot of work with that during the winter, which was useful. Oh, good. Pro Tools, are you recording your own songs? or? Yeah, just, just trying to put some ideas down. You know, that I, I may have some various songwriting projects with other people coming up that I, I would like to have some ideas for. You know, there's the eternally elusive Mike Mills solo record that may or may not happen someday. So just trying to have ideas and just have them so I don't forget the songs. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, uh, <laughs> that's that's pretty useful. What did y'all do during the pandemic winter? You know, as a touring musician and owner of a small painting company here in Chicago, the first three or four weeks were uh, concerning, deeply concerning. <laughs> um, of course, there was the element of feeling very fortunate that, you know, I... I have a family and it was nice to spend time with the family, but uh, it wasn't until about a month in where it started to feel like, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to get through this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, But the work started to come back, which I feel very fortunate about. And then this thing happened in, well, you've played at space, you know, how awesome space is in Evanston. It is. Yeah. They reached out to me in April and they said, we have this concept of doing lawn shows. Would you be open to doing lawn shows with us where, you know, basically someone would buy me and buy the, you know, space. They would bring the carpet from the stage and (laughs) tables and chairs and they brought pizza for, you know, it was called space to go. So it's like, they're literally bringing space to your backyard. Right. Well, I did 53 of those over the summer. I mean, I think it was a combination of me just being ready to play anytime, anywhere, and also just people wanting to hear live music in a safe way. So much, so much so, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people were were doing whatever they could. You know, Robin Hitchcock and, and Emma Swift did a really cool series of quarantine shows. And Ken Stringfellow, who is the hardest working man in show business. You know, he did a bunch of cool stuff like that too. Yeah, some people are so good at that. And I... I tried to shy away from it. I I wasn't sure that I could pull off one of those streaming shows, partly because of my, I don't feel very, um, I'm not very good with the technical stuff. I can't believe I got this Zoom to work with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm with you on that, believe me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's weird to do a live show with, with an invisible audience. That you can't hear, yeah. There are some people that really know what they're doing with that, and it's really cool. And I think that helped a lot of people get through it. Agreed. But boy, it feels better now, doesn't it? The the vaccines and the sunshine, and um, it's starting to feel so much safer. Are they starting to do shows in Athens, indoor shows? It's it's a mixed bag down here, but no, there aren't any uh, indoor shows. Uh, I think Driving and Crying is actually playing this Saturday. So I hope to go hang out with them, maybe sing a song with Kevin Kinney and his crew. Oh, amazing. Yep. Cool. I've got some friends whose sons are in bands. And uh, one of them, my friend Colm O'Reilly, who does sound at the Georgia Theater, his son's band is playing Thursday night outdoors. There's a there's a brewery here that does a lot of outdoor shows on their lawn. Oh, great. Yeah, and Bill Berry's son, Owen, has a band, and they're playing... Uh, somewhere soon outdoors, which I'm excited to go see. Oh, so, so cool. You know, it's one of those things like when you first saw baseball players that you grew up with, his son is playing in the major leagues. Yeah, That's yeah. like, oh, hell, what is happening here? <laughs> and and now your friend's sons are starting bands and playing live. And it's like, well, that's time marching on. But it's great. It's just so wonderful to see uh, the genes get passed on and the desire to play live music get passed on. And that's real gratifying. I was watching an NBA game recently and um, this player Brunson got subbed in. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool that Rick Brunson is still playing in the NBA. 
Nope. Nope. It's, it's his son. Yeah, it's his son. <laughs> Hell, I'm seeing grandsons play baseball now. The, right, you know, yeah. the Bell, the Bell Boys. <laughs> I, I didn't really know the grandfather. I mean, I was just a kid when he played. But uh, yeah, there's three generations of Bells been playing baseball, and it's it's sort of disconcerting, but you gotta gotta deal with it. Hey, we're, we're still here. We're we still are still here. here. <laughs> we're still here. We're making music, having fun. That's that's the best part. So, Mike, how long did you not travel during the lockdown or during the pandemic? Well, um, I was actually pretty lucky. I got to go, I, some friends of mine and I have a boat that I went and stayed on in Charleston because you could avoid things and they had outdoor outdoor food there. And I, I love Charleston and I was planning to go anyway. So I was able to be safe in those days. It was early. I think it was early in the pandemic and people were not sure exactly. So I was just down there being real careful. And that got me out of Athens for a little while, which was really nice. Other than that, once I got back from that, it was pretty much here. You know, a couple of trips to Macon, Georgia, because I've got some musical things going on down there. A couple of trips to Atlanta, but really just not much, you know, just here and going out in the yard and playing golf. That was one of the kind of biggest changes for me. I'm so accustomed to traveling with the bands, whether, you know, Superchunk or Bob Mould. It's, you know, a fair amount of touring, a lot of flights. And um, boy, after, you know, I guess my last flight was in January to Chapel Hill to play with Superchunk at, at God's Cradle. And I still haven't been on a flight. So that's a big change. I've done a couple, you know, and and depending on what, what you believe, what you read, but one good thing about, one good thing has come of this is I believe the airlines have made it clear that they filter the hell out of that air. They do. People say you get on there and you get sick on airplanes. Well, maybe so. If the guy right next to you is coughing, he'll make you sick. But apparently the germs are fairly well taken care of by the filtration system on airplanes. Now that could be BS. I don't know. But no, that's I think you're right. There's no data that that says that there's super spreading on planes. Exactly. So and, you know, everybody's masking up for the most part. And they finally got tough with the idiots that wouldn't wear a mask on an airplane, which is just you know, I, I say throw their asses in jail. But so that's good. So I have flown a couple of times and I feel pretty good about it. You know, your mask is on from the minute you get in the airport till the minute you get out of the airport before you go. And I, I feel OK about that. I'm sure there are some people that are compromised, but in general, wearing a mask doesn't seem that big of a compromise. I hear all these people whining about tyranny and freedom. I'm like, how the hell did we ever beat the Nazis? You know, how the hell did we win that war? We got the biggest bunch of whiners I've ever heard. Oh, the tyranny, I have to wear a mask. I go to hell. But anyway, yeah. So I tell you that that day I got that first vaccine, my wife and I, we were just jumping up and down. It was a party. We felt like having a party just from getting that first dose of the vaccine. It was just a thrill. I completely agree. When we found out, I hope I'm not revealing too much, but my wife cried. I mean, it was like, we're going to go get this thing. We actually drove three hours to go get the Johnson and Johnson on March 28th because we could have waited another three weeks for the Pfizer. But then we're like, you know, if we go right now, we beat it by six weeks. And it yeah. felt like that six weeks was kind of a crucial for the safe, you know, how much safer the world would be. And every, not only are you making yourself safer, you're making other people safer and and just why the hell wouldn't you, you know, go ahead and get it done. Yeah, it's, it's why we don't have measles. Right. Why we don't have, you know. Yeah, like... mumps, measles, <laughs> rubella, you know, we don't have any of that. Well, we didn't until the people stopped taking the damn vaccine and the measles came back. Wow, what a shock. Oh, how did that happen? How does that happen? Well, let's just wait for smallpox to come back and see uh, see how that does. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, it was an emotional thing. So last Saturday, I played my first in public indoor shows at the uh, g-man which is the 
the bar right next to Metro that Joe Shanahan owns that one too. Oh yeah. Used to be the ginger man. Yeah, exactly. And um, he asked me to come down and do some shows and they were very strict about the proof of vaccination, which meant that once you're inside, no masks. And it, it took a second, you know, I can't just flick a switch and be used to it and be comfortable. Yeah. But I tell you a couple minutes in, I'm like, this feels good. Everybody's vaccinated. And it was, it was wonderful. Oh, that's great. Well, you figured, you know, Shanahan knows what he's doing. He's, he's only yeah. been in the business for about 50 years. So, <laughs> uh, you know, if anybody's going to get right, I think it would be Joe. And that's really great that he did. And the most important thing is that the person who bought the ticket feels safe. Right. And they did. And they uh, they did a great job with that. So here's to more of those. I'm playing a, an indoor private show tomorrow. Some of the clubs in Chicago have been doing this thing where they let people rent the room and then buy the act. Um, so this is, I mean, they contacted me months ago and I didn't know what this year was going to look like. So I, I said, yeah, let's do it. And I'm thrilled that we are, but it's funny how now things are starting to open up. And I think some of the clubs are like, you know, we could have done this. <laughs> we couldn't have known, you know, I mean, but musicians need to work and people need to hear live music and, you know, and, and the more people, the more we understood about the, the disease itself and how it was transmitted, you know, that was sure. If we'd known all these things, you know, six months ago we could have made a much earlier start on maybe getting some live music, but there was no vaccine really six months ago. So it happens as it must have happened. And sure, when you look back, you go, oh, we could have done it quicker, could have done it better. But when you're in the midst of the great unknown like that was, you, you just do the best you can. Yeah. And this just feels like that gray area in between transitions, you know. But I know that, you know, the Bob Mold Band had this fall tour booked for a long time. Basically, we wanted to see the vaccines get distributed and then wait and see what the data would be. Because it's one thing for people to get vaccinated. It's a whole other thing to see what the results are. And so we, we finally announced and oh, it's going to feel so good to play with those guys again. I can't wait. When are y'all touring? Uh, we're out in September and October with the full band with John and Bob. And then in later October, Bob and I are going to do some solo shows in the Midwest where, I mean, I'm going to let him go on second. <laughs> Damn good of you, Jason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, after I sold the shows out, I thought, you know, it'd be nice if Bob could play for the full house. Well, yeah, he, he could use a career boost. I don't see any problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing some songwriting with a bunch of different people uh, uh, coming up, which will be interesting. I haven't done that much co-writing with people outside of REM, so that'll be interesting to see how that goes. I do have some stuff coming up in spring of next year. A good friend of mine is named Robert McDuffie. He's a classical violinist, very famous world-class tours all around the world, plays with symphonies all around the world. He came to me about six years ago and asked me to write a, a concerto for rock violin, rock band, and string orchestra. So I did. And I mean, it's a concerto in the sense that it, it fills the definition of a classical concerto. But our point is that we're trying to break down the walls between those genres to show people that you can enjoy classical elements in a rock and roll setting or vice versa. So we've combined as many classical elements as we can with the rock and roll, have a band, you know, with John Neff and William Tonks and, and Patrick Ferguson from Athens. And so that's a lot of fun. And we do that. So we're, we're doing a couple of iterations of that. One is so we're, we're going to tour. The first part of the show will be some arrangements of R.E.M. songs done by really cool arrangers. And then the second part of the show will be the concerto 
with the rock band and the string orchestra, actually maybe full orchestra. Wow. Not just strings. We're going to go to full orchestra for this. And then another thing we're doing is something I've done where Bobby and uh, Chuck Lavelle and I do what I call a night of Georgian music. And it's all songs either about. Oh yeah. You guys did this, didn't you? Yeah, we did it a few times. It's, it's, it's amazing, but it's, it's either songs about Georgia or by Georgia artists. And that is super fun. Oh, man, I got to catch one of those. I'd love to see that. Oh, you got to. Well, we're going to try to tour that next year. It's it's a weird thing because nobody really knows. It, it's hard to market because there's no singing. It's all instrumental, but such instrumentalism. You know, Chuck Lavelle on piano and Robert McDuffie on violin. It's it's brilliant. And it's a lot more fun than it may even sound. But uh, we get a bunch of that coming up next year. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I hope we get to do some more split single too. And when the world gets safer, you let me know. Excellent. Well, this has been fun, Mike. Thanks so much for taking time. Thank you, Jason. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the Talk House podcast. And thanks to Mike Mills and Jason Narducci for chatting. This week's episode was produced by Melissa Kaplan. And as always, the Talk House theme is composed and performed by The Range. If you like what you heard, check out Talk House on all your favorite social channels and wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. Thanks.